When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Alan White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Tuesday, December 10th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by dialing 929-274-3437. This week, the college football playoff is set. Another wild week in the National Football League, and Steven Strasburg gets paid. Garrett Cole will get paid more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The final four is set in the college football playoff. The committee rejoices in just about the best way possible as far as no upsets. Everything kind of goes chalk for them. They don't have to have any poor votes. They don't have people coming down their throats. Happiness for them and hopefully exciting games for us. The National Football League to continues to circle its wagons. Some teams had some ugly losses this week. We're still looking for great teams. Great teams. The list is still small, but we're getting there, slowly but surely. But we will start with the college football and what was a very chalky Friday and Saturday, in a sense, to get us with the Final Four of LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. The excitement's here. What do you think? Uh, well, Johnny, uh, thoroughly enjoyed what turned out to be not nearly as competitive as we thought it was going to be, but the weekend from beginning to end. Hope everybody had a great sports weekend. Uh, we come down the stretch of the NFL season with our callers and our listeners, and now we have gone down the stretch to the NCAA uh, regular season. And the committee got this one right. They had it really uh, incredibly close. Uh, If you listen to all the experts, no matter what network you listen to or who you like, pretty much everybody thought it was a coin flip between LSU and Ohio State. LSU had been number one. After the big win over Alabama, they stayed that way. Then they had a little slippage, gave up a lot of yards and points to Ole Miss. Ohio State took the leaderboard uh, with a very strong finish and nosed them out at the end of the regular season. And then came this past weekend. A lot of people wondered what would happen depending upon how each team played in their respective championship, conference championship series, conference championship game, excuse me. And when the dust settled off of a tremendous effort from LSU in which they took apart a terrific Georgia defense, not a terrific Georgia team, but going into this weekend, the fourth team, clearly fourth, but the fourth team behind the big three of the final four, they took Georgia and literally uh, cleaned, cleaned, cleaned their clocks. They took them and dragged them up and down the field. It was never close. It was never a contest. LSU's offense dominated Georgia's defense. LSU's defense dominated Georgia's offense. And a Heisman Award-winning performance and finish to the season by Joe Burrow. And then, come nighttime, Ohio State was, let's say, overall mediocre because they had a terrible first half, trailed 21-7, to 
went out and kicked Wisconsin's ass in the second half, outscored them, shut them out in the second half, uh, and had a hand ride home. But this, this is a Wisconsin team that's going to a bowl game, but it's a Wisconsin team that is not uh, you know, a great team. It's, it's, it's a good team, but you know, they're not Alabama. They're not Georgia. I don't think they're Auburn. They're the rest, the best of the rest of the Big Ten, which is Penn State, which is Michigan, which are, are some pretty good teams. But I am not an SEC homer. I am not a Big Ten hater. I simply think that the level of competition that LSU played and beat all year long and finished with a flourish on Saturday put them in a position where I thought they deserved to be number one. I thought they were the best team. Uh, the computers all had it very close between your schedule, your top 25 opponents, and where the computers ranked them, the eye test, etc. I just thought that they were the most consistent team. I thought they played the toughest schedule. Uh, I thought they were the best team. I thought they had the most quality wins. And at the end of the day, the committee thought the same thing because they get the one seed and the game that everybody's talking about now, obviously, she didn't want to be number two. She had to play Clemson, who a lot of people think is the best team in the country, as they demolished Virginia in their ACC championship game. And so Ohio State will play them in the 2-3 game, uh, Clemson the early two-point favorite, and Oklahoma sneaks in, as we talked about, into the four seed. I told you all along, and everybody who listens to the show will remember that I thought Oklahoma would somehow, someway find a way, and we would see Jalen Hurts in the Final Four again. But he has one tall task to finish his career as Oklahoma gets in as the four coming off the second Baylor victory in consecutive weeks. Uh, excuse me, not in consecutive weeks, but in a very short turnaround time. And they will play the, the one seat LSU and LSU, obviously, I think an early 10 point favorite there. But I think the committee got it right. And I'm very excited to see these games. I'm very excited for what I think is going to be uh, you know, a tremendous Final Four, except for the fact that, you know, the first two games are so far apart from the championship game. Far too big a gap this year. Far too big. I'm with the committee. I was confused why LSU wasn't number one last week, why it kind of took them a little while to make that happen. I understand their argument for it. And obviously this week, you couldn't not put them there, especially when Ohio State goes down in a halftime trailing and LSU had no problems with Georgia. You had to make that happen and put them at number one. We lost some of the drama Friday in the Pac-12 championship Indeed. game. We had talked Indeed. about if Utah had won, they seemingly would have had the best shot to get that fourth spot. Oklahoma would have had to have been very impressive against Baylor, which a nice win, but... If Utah had won by a couple touchdowns and, and controlled that game, what Oklahoma did Saturday, I'm not sure if it would have been enough to take Utah out of the fourth spot. I think it would have come down to, as we talked about, some of the storylines that we'll like to see now with Jalen Hurts getting another shot in the college football playoff. Lincoln Riley obviously having his name thrown around for places like Dallas to coach the Cowboys. And funny enough, the title game happens to be right in Jerry Jones's backyard, Jerry World. He had a front row seat at potentially two coaches, Matt Rule and Lincoln Riley. They were right there. I, I don't know if he was at the game. I don't remember seeing him in his box. Maybe he was underground or had some of his, his spies there where they took both coaches aside and said, hey, Jerry's watching. Just know it could be you like Willy Wonka and Slugworth, where Slugworth took the kids aside and spoke on Willy Wonka's behalf. Maybe Jerry Jones was watching both those guys, but that was interesting in itself. But I wonder if Utah was able to do something against Oregon. And we've heard all this Utah talk, their vaunted defense. Look at Utah, the Utes, here they come. And that vaunted defense looked like Trash on Friday. Trash might be a little strong, but this vaunted Utah Utes team finally plays another game where the team against them has a number by their name, and they got slaughtered. 
So there wasn't even the discussion of who's going to get the four spot. As I mentioned, for the committee, they pop champagne on Friday night. Perfect. We'll take the winner of Oklahoma-Baylor. We hope it's Oklahoma. We're in. Great. We lost a little something there, I thought. Oregon really made their job easy. And for those who listened last week, you can call me out on the carpet. I believe I said I started. Uh, we were going to start the week with what I thought was going to be an incredibly interesting and intriguing game, and it was nothing remotely resembling either. Uh, Oregon took them out to the woodshed. They just whooped up on them a big time from the opening series when Utah moved the ball into Oregon territory, and they went for a fourth and short, and they got stopped cold. You could have turned your sets on. Oregon out-hit them. Oregon literally out physical the physical team, the supposed physical team in the Utes, and really showed them, I hate to use the term to be a phony team or a paper tiger, but Utah has no business being mentioned in the same breath with any of these teams they're in the final four. The team that does clearly is Oregon. Because remember Oregon's losses, folks. They lost to a very good Auburn team in a game that they had control of in the beginning of the season and lost in the last few seconds. And they lost to Arizona State, Herm Edwards' team, where they just came out flat as a pancake at Arizona State, who had a pretty good season and beat some quality teams. Uh, They played very poorly. Got that game back to within one score and gave up an 85-yard touchdown on third and very long and came right down and scored but couldn't recover an outside kick. And that really cost them their season. What would have been incredibly intriguing would have been had Oregon beaten Arizona State, hammered Utah the way they did, and Alabama had beaten Auburn, and the committee would have had to decide between Oregon, Pac-12 champ, Alabama, non-SEC champ, with only the loss to undefeated number one LSU, and Oklahoma, a one-loss Oklahoma team with their one loss at Kansas State. I think, to be completely honest with you, I think if I were a betting man in that scenario, considering the fact that Tua was injured, and remember, they take injuries into consideration when they pick the top four, when they make their votes, when they go into that room, and look at the categories. Injuries slash health is one of the elements they take into consideration. I believe, had it come down to those three, or even those two, Let's say Alabama did lose, like they did to Auburn. I think Oregon would have gotten a Duke. I think Oregon would have been the fourth team, uh, the last team in the Final Four. I think they would have gotten a nod over Oklahoma. What do you think? I would agree with that. And I think the last sort of sight we'll see of Oregon in that game led a lot of people to probably have that in the back of their mind. If this is a very good football team, and it really came down to that one, I don't want to say fluky, but that one unfortunate loss to Herm Edwards' squad because they have a quarterback that people are going to be looking at for the NFL draft, obviously. Other pieces around them that we saw against Utah on both sides of the football. They've had a lot of games this year where things just didn't go their way as far as them figuring out what was going to work when it would work. And we almost saw that against Utah. You know, things are going against Utah. Blocked punt. A guy has an anchor room to take it to the house and score. It it falls off his fingers and goes out of bounds. And you're looking around like, here we go. Oregon finally has some momentum. And one bounce of the football is going to take that away. But they were able to just cruise. And I think they are incredibly disappointed Probably the team that deserves to have the most disappointment for not being able to get into the college football playoff of the Alabamas and the Auburns, et cetera. They're looking at that one loss like if that didn't happen, we're in. And that's, that's just how it goes, unfortunately. It's back to the and drawing rem- and, and, and remember, I'm not going to criticize them for doing what they did. They went out and they played 
the extra marquee non-conference game. Instead of playing, you know, Podunk, uh, taking on a mediocre Division One team, they play Auburn in the beginning of the year in the Open in a very hard-fought, knockdown, dragout game that they had control of and found literally found a way to lose the game in the last couple minutes. Had they gotten that win, even the Arizona State loss, I don't think would have cost them. Uh, I still think they would have been in the Final Four if they had won either one of those games. Because they, I don't want to say they brought them on themselves. They don't want to discourage teams from playing the tough non-conference schedule because that's what the committee encourages. But they go out and do that, and they play in that opening game against Oregon. They very good Oregon, excuse me, very good uh, Auburn team. Obviously, who beat Alabama. And remember, Auburn lost to LSU 23-20 at LSU. Now, LSU was in control of that game for pretty much the entire game. And I don't want to say it was not as close as the score indicated, but you know, LSU was not able to get away from them. That Auburn defense, very talented, very tough. And holding the LSU offense to 23 points is extraordinary. It's a, it was a tremendous offense, an offense that no one could do anything with all year long. Vaunted offense, record-setting offense, and they held them to 23 points. They found a way to come back and beat Oregon, and that or the Arizona State game cost Oregon a bid into the championship series. There's no doubt in my mind, and I think they would be competitive because this is a program that's you know played in championship games remember they, they lost to Iowa State and they, they lost to uh to Cam Newton and uh and Auburn on the last play of the game uh, when Auburn won the national title so this is not a program that is unfamiliar with playing for big stakes and they go out there they go out there they played the Pac-12 obviously which hasn't made it to the final four uh, in the last few years but they go out there and they play a big time schedule they're not scared of anybody Phil Knight's team is a very good club. And, uh, you know, it, to me is, is right on par with Oklahoma, who's very banged up, by the way, also. Oklahoma's got a lot of injuries. It's not the same Oklahoma team that we're used to seeing. It's a different Oklahoma club. They don't throw it all over the field like uh, the past two teams of the Heisman Trophy winners. This is a team that's built more around Jalen Hurts uh, being more of a running than throwing or at least as much of a running as he is a throwing quarterback. They'd be a much more of a running team. Uh, their offense is not nearly as explosive. Now, they didn't have C.D. Lamb for a few games, so that was part of it. And he's back, and of course, was mercurial against Baylor, as he always is. So, I, I think they can handle LSU, but I, I just don't see Oklahoma being able to compete with that. This Oklahoma team, I do not see being able to compete with LSU. And the thing I love about LSU is when Iowa State in the post game, uh, their, their players and their coach were claiming number one. We want to be number one. We should be number one. We deserve to be number one. Look what we did the last three weeks. Uh, coach O and the LSU players, when asked what they thought they should be or where they want to go, their response was pretty much, you know, wherever they sent us. We don't care where we finish. We don't care who we play. Just tell us where we got to go. And that's the attitude that I love. And Coach O said it on the field. Joe Burrow said it on the field. And I just think that's the way they play. They play with a, a cohesiveness and, and a chip on their shoulder almost of, you know, we're a different LSU team. Everybody said we couldn't throw it. We can throw it now. Everybody said our offense was in the dark ages. It's not anymore. They almost had this kind of show, we're going to show you attitude that I love watching. And when he said on the field, you know, we don't care where we go, just tell us who we got to play. That's the kind of attitude you like to hear from a team, you know, amidst this notion of you know, who's number one, it's really close. What do you think? Did you do enough? You know, we go out and our job is to put up more points than the team we're playing. And we did that today. We finished strong. Now just tell us where we got to go and who's on the other side and we'll get to scout and, and we'll get to do on our homework. And I, I love that LSU attitude. I, I love coach. O. 
I love go Tigers at the end of every at the end at the end of every interview. So I'm a little biased. I'm clearly rooting for them, but I just love the attitude and, and the way they go about their business. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Clemson hasn't lost in two years. People forget as a three seed because of their schedule, uh, you know, really through no fault of the fact of their, their own that the ACC has fallen on hard times. Florida State has dropped off dramatically and obviously just hired their new coach fresh off uh, you know, their uh, conference championship. Uh, the scoreboard was, was barely turned off in the Memphis-Cincinnati game. And uh, the Memphis coach had signed on with Florida State. But uh, the Clemson run here is, has really been amazing. They, except for a real scare against North Carolina, They've had two fabulous seasons, and you know, they look to continue the run. And you talk about the kickers. Ironically, the other the other game has two terrific kickers: the LSU freshman kicker, who's been terrific, and I believe, if you check the books, I think the Oklahoma kicker did not miss a field goal all year. I think he was the only kicker in major college in the country that was perfect uh, from uh, from the field goal perspective. Now he didn't make. You know, Try 30. I think he, I think it was around 18 for 18 ballpark, something like that. Uh, so two really good kickers, accurate kickers in that game, which shouldn't come down to a kick. But we have once again Jalen Hurts in four seasons uh, loses the title game to Clemson as a freshman, uh, gets benched as a sophomore. Tua comes off the bench and leads them to a victory in the championship game against Georgia comes off the bench as a junior uh, for an injured Tua and saves Alabama's bacon in the SEC title game again against Georgia and then sits down and watches Tua lose uh, and get dismantled by Clemson in the finals and now for the fourth consecutive year as a senior uh, through the transfer portal as you discussed uh, he comes back one more time a remarkable college football player and I think a guy who will go on to play in the NFL uh, simply because of some of the roads that uh, and the barriers that are being broken down. He'll be a more refined thrower as time goes on uh, and become a better thrower. But just as a winning player alone, four trips to the final four in four years. Uh, what has the kid lost? Three games? I think. Three regular season games? Right. One at Oklahoma and uh, two at Alabama. In, in, three, in three seasons there, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive football player. Pretty impressive young man. Uh, I think his career will end in the semis, but that's because he's going up against, I think, a, a superior football team. But either way, it should be very interesting for both games, as you said, especially the Ohio State-Clemson game, uh, which we all think is going to be a fabulously and hotly contested game for the right to go on and play for the championship. Storylines are definitely all there, and we'll talk more about those two games specifically when they're more upon us. we got a little pause and, and, now in college And football. just to wrap it up, and, and we did see uh, one more Heisman moment from uh, Joe Burrow in the scramble against Georgia where he reversed his field uh, ran away from and juked the same player twice and gave ground and rolled to his right through a bomb. Uh, Jefferson broke off his pattern, hauled it in and went 71 yards uh, in just an absolutely amazing play. There was one more Heisman moment, exclamation point, a cherry on the Sunday if you will, for uh, for Joe Burrow, I think clinching the Heisman in what will not be a close race at all. The other three uh, finalists were, I should say, the four finalists were announced today, which, of course, he's the leading candidate, uh, the other three being uh, you know, the two quarterbacks. In fields uh, from Ohio State, Jalen Hurts from uh, Oklahoma, and the 
mercurial defensive lineman from uh, Ohio State, who many people think is going to be uh, the first pick in the draft overall. We uh, we shall see whether it's Burrow or he. Uh, but I, I was surprised he got an invite. There's just going to be the three quarterbacks, but he did get the invite. I didn't think he'd get an invite because of the, the games he missed, because of the suspension. But, uh, but they brought him along. So. Dabo furious, though, that none of his Clemson players will be making the trip to New York as Heisman finalists. He's been next saying, year, Dabo. Yeah, next, next, year. next year. We'll get there. Next year. Next year, you've already got the leading candidate. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. And there could be one more somewhere on their team easily, too. You never know from year to year. We have the storylines in college football. We're still trying to find the major storylines within the National Football League. We're trying to find our footing. Yeah. We're trying to find who's who's who, what, where, just when you think you've got it figured out, the wheels fall off certain teams, or you have a game that isn't anything the, thing, the, the, the way you think it's supposed to be, uh, a confusing day, an exciting day, an interesting day, Let's lead it with, so we can get it out of the way quickly, simply the most shocking game of the day. Plain and simple. Your Denver Broncos, with a rookie rookie quarterback, go into Houston, coming off, I'm not going to call it the biggest win in franchise history, but damn close, as they knock off, the Pats last Sunday night in a huge win to put them atop the division. They're riding high. They're playing well. They're home. And in comes Denver. And don't look now, but it's 38 to 3. I'll leave the rest to you. I thought my phone was broken. And, and the highlights and the scores coming in, every touchdown, every score gets sent to me. I thought it was another game. There's no way this is happening. That is, it's an inexcusable loss. They scored a couple touchdowns, made the score look closer than it was. But talk about being able to change the channel. Drew Locke, second start, looking like a young John Elway tearing up this Texans defense. And nothing from the offense. Denver's got injuries on defense. They haven't mailed it in, but it's not the Denver team they want to be putting onto the field, which opens up the door for you to be successful, especially at home. I understand you get up when you play New England. Some teams view it as their quote-unquote Super Bowl, but the Texans shouldn't be at that level where that, there would be so much of a fallout the following week. After you get up for New England, keep the momentum going. I, I mean, some of it has to go on to the coaching staff. That's easy to figure out. But that's it's inexcusable to get blown out by the 2019 Denver Broncos. We'll just put it that way. It was an incredible performance to see from Drew Locke. It gives you a little excitement if you're a Broncos fan. Part of you thinks, let's not do this. Let's get a better draft pick. Then you remember John Elway is who makes your draft picks. So you think, well, maybe we'll just get the wins because what the hell does it matter anyway? If you don't know how to pick anybody in the first round, who cares where you are? You still got to know who you're going with. But if you're the Houston Texans, that is an awful loss. Awful. It helps that you're able to look over and see that the Indianapolis Colts couldn't beat Jameis Winston, who goes from Hall of Fame quarterback one pass to the worst quarterback in the league history, the second pass. They lose, okay, but goodness, you can't lose that football game. Or you can't get blown out in losing that football game. We could, we could at least say that. Way too early to find, you make the determination that the Broncos have found a quarterback. But for a franchise that has struggled mightily since Peyton Manning's retirement to find their next quarterback, Sunday was certainly a good start. And in, in a day and age where we like to compliment teams for playing hard, even though that's what they're supposed to do all the time, let's compliment the Broncos. The Broncos do not mail any games in. 
No, they don't. They, they, as a Bronco fan, you know better than anybody the number of heartbreaking games they have lost this year. What would they lose? Four games in the last minute? Is it four? Yeah, it's been that's the number. It's been bad. It's been bad. So they, they go out and they compete. They play hard. They play, and their defense has been crippled from what would have been, if not for injury, a really strong defense. They lost Chubb very early on in the season. But they go out, that's a credit to their coach, it's a credit to the organization, and obviously more than anything else, it's a credit to the players. They compete with everybody they play. They play hard every week. It's been a tough season, but I thought that was a remarkable win to go in and literally beat up a division leader in their own house. And they beat them up. They thoroughly dominated Houston. That was, wasn't one of those games where, uh, you know, you had a fluky play here and a fluky play there, and you know, the score wasn't as close. You know, the game was close. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. It was 38-3. to 38-3, and it should have been 38-3. They totally and completely manhandled Houston in their own building. And that is a very poor commentary on Bill O'Brien having his team ready to play coming off a big win. And that shows, you know, how topsy-turvy this league is. On the next note, you, that shows us the difference between how Bill O'Brien has the Houston team prepared and how John Harbaugh has his team prepared. They come off running the gauntlet against a number of good teams, some of which they've destroyed, Houston, the Rams, some of which they have beaten in hard-fought games, i.e. San Francisco last week, and they have one more very difficult game. They have to go into Buffalo, play a red-hot Buffalo team, coming off a huge win in Dallas, and they really control the game. Not pretty. They do it kind of old-style Ravens, sack the quarterback, a lot of pressure, give up a big run here and there, and give the Bills some scores via old Ravens-style penalties, some personal fouls, some roughing the passers, and an interference penalty that sends Buffalo down the field, not once, but twice. And then they hang on. They thoroughly dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, they force the young quarterback into an awful day, sack him six times, pressure him all day long, keep him in the pocket, do not allow him to escape and have an awful day completion percentage and yards per throw wise. And I'm up 24, nine and in full control of the game. And then, you know, the bills go down the field with a few personal fouls and they wind up with a touchdown, a two point conversion. The Ravens give the ball back after a quick series and the bills convert a few third downs, have a pass interference that keeps the drive alive. And then the Ravens hold them off and get themselves a hard-fought 24-17 win. But, you know, instead of going out and laying an egg after an incredibly important game where you had a hard-fought win at home, now you have to go on the road. What do they do? They come out ready to play. And that is a credit to the organization, and that is a credit to the coach, and a credit to the players. You can't be great every week. You just can't. It's too hard too physical season's too long but if you can be good consistently and organized play hard play well be well prepared scout be strong on special teams you're going to have a couple stinkers and the Ravens had two excuse me one they had one against the Browns clearly where they were off and they lost to Kansas City, which is nothing to be embarrassed about. That was a game where they could have gone out and not performed well, not been ready, and been overwhelmed by a Bills team that was ready to defend their own territory with the Bills Mafia on a big-time run. And the Ravens controlled the game from beginning to end. And that really is you know, a commentary on the organization and the coach and how they were prepared to play. And just as the dichotomy of a Houston team coming off a huge win and staying at home and 
being wholly and prepared to play. And that's the difference between a team that's going to challenge for a Super Bowl and a team that isn't. Yeah, that was a statement win in that sense where you know it's, it's going to be a grind. You know it's not going to be easy. You know you're not playing your best football. But you also say, we're the better team. We can do just enough to win this game. And they did. They're able to hold on. And, and that's all you can ask for, really. Because as you said, you're not going to blow teams out by 30 every week. Lamar Jackson's not going to throw for five touchdowns and run for 100 yards and another touchdown every week. You hope to save that for the games where you would need to do such things. And, and you know the deal. The more it's scouted and the more film these coaches watch, they will adjust. As good an athlete as he is and as mercurial as he is and as physically gifted as he is, they will adjust and he will not be rushing for 100 yards a game. He, he simply will not. He's going to eventually have to win some games with big throws from the pocket. It cannot all be organized chaos. You can't go an entire season that way uh, and win every game that way. There's going to have to be some games from the pocket where we make some big throws. He made a big throw to the tight end. Hayden Hurst, long touchdown pass on a catch and run. Big time throw. That was the one really big time throw of the game. Sometimes you may only have to make one the way they play, but you're going to have to make some because they will adjust. It's the National Football League. Right. They adjust to everything and they're starting to adjust to him. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now it's time for the Ravens to adjust to that. And it looks like they did a good job of starting, and they'll have a couple more games, uh, not easy games necessarily, to really work out those, I guess, kinks and see what they could do running and passing. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't the best AFC win of the day since the Patriots have been on somewhat of a downswing of late. History starts going against them for once. I think in losing at home to the Kansas City Chiefs, that was the first time Brady and Edelman lost a home game while they were both starting. I think that's the statistic, which, you know, Crazy stuff. Whenever you go into New England and win, you're probably going to break some sort of record or knock off some sort of record, and there's a good one there. Being able to hold off New England, who battled a little bit, but we've seen better days of late for the New England Patriots, at least against teams that have winning records Teams that, again, we talked about this last week. Maybe this would be the week they have the We're the Patriots game taking down the Kansas City Chiefs and kind of riding the ship, if you will, for the last three games of the season, which shouldn't be difficult for them, at least on paper. They weren't able to do it. And we've seen this rodeo before. Kansas City beats New England. Tom Brady's done. It's over. I think it was week four that one year they blew them off the field. Brady's done. And, you know, a couple more Super Bowls later, here we are. Maybe this is the time we could say Brady's done. The New England Patriots reign is done. It was a good win for Kansas City. I I think they definitely needed this one, especially after what happened to them last year in the postseason. This was not a postseason win. I hope it didn't feel as such for them because there's definitely more to play for, and they hope if there's a rematch, they can then get the revenge that they deserve after that ridiculous offsides last year gave the Patriots the win. But you have to be happy if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you're the Patriots, again, it's another week of, uh, okay, guys, let's, let's get back to normal here. What's going on? Not a great feeling in New England. Booing the Patriots out. Booing them going to the half. Tom Brady, Edelman, whoever else is on the team, getting booed. Jeez, how quick we forget New England. 
boom them off the field, and then they almost come back and win. They shouldn't even have come out for the second half. F you, fans. You know what we've done for you people? Getting booed. What a shame. Hard to believe. What a shame. Hard to believe. And you know, in the meantime, we're all critical of Brady and the New England way and all the breaks that they get. This was a horribly officiated game. Uh, they got some terrible calls that cost them an opportunity to tie and potentially win the game. And that's the way the cookie crumbles in the National Football League. We're used to seeing those calls go in New England's favor. We just have to go back a couple weeks with the two phantom tripping calls against the Cowboys, the last one of which was as bad a call as you'll ever want to see, that prevented, from the, Cowboy, that prevented the Cowboys from having a last possession drive. Not saying they would have gone down the field, but it precluded them basically from having a chance to go down the field. It took away a huge first down uh, that began that drive and had them around their own 40 yard line and put them in a situation where they couldn't convert a fourth down on a, uh, on a catch that was overruled originally caught and then ruled it hit the ground. And that was a horrible call. And last night we saw another horrible call, but part of the problem and it's almost like a snowball for the Patriots. The offense isn't working. The defense isn't quite as good. And last night, lo and behold, you know, the, the coach probably made a mistake. The coach spent his last challenge on a, I'm not going to say a questionable bad spot. It was a bad spot on a first down uh, attempt for Kansas City, in which they, they made the catch. It was ruled that they had the first down, and uh, Jerome Boogerman's crew ruled it a first down, and it was, in all probability, short. But those are the toughest challenges to win. And Bill Belichick threw his flag. It was his last challenge. He lost. And it turned out that was a challenge that he desperately needed because on you know, Harry's catch, and sprawl to the end zone. He did not go out of bounds. It would have tied the game, or the, the ensuing extra point, if they made it, would have tied the game. Instead, they wind up with a first and goal, and I believe the four. They cannot score, and they kick the field goal. And lo and behold, they wind up again down with a chance to tie it one more time. And on a fourth down play into the end zone for Julian Edelman, we're used to seeing we're, we're used to seeing a questionable, controversial, controversial flag get thrown right there to put the ball on the one yard line for New England on that fourth down incompletion. It was close. We have certainly seen that call be made before in in places all over the National Football League. Uh, so I would would not have been the least bit surprised if the laundry came out, especially in favor of the Patriots. It did not, and that sealed their deal. Uh, close call, you could say a good no call, but a call we have clearly seen go in the Patriots' favor in the past. Uh, could that be all part of the beginning of the end? Uh, in that that's not going their way either. We shall see. Bottom line is that the AFC road to the Super Bowl goes now through Baltimore, which has a two-game lead over the Patriots because they've got the tiebreaker with them. And remember, the Patriots still have to play Buffalo. So we're not sure where exactly the Patriots are going to be vis-a-vis -vis the Chiefs. But the bottom line for the Ravens is if it continues the way it is, they're not going to have to play both of them. That's the case. He's only having to play one of them with the Patriots having to play the Chiefs again at some point in time. So uh, they are clearly the three superior teams in the AFC. Uh, we can take Houston out of the mix after their performance or lack thereof. Kansas City is back in the mix, full throttle, getting healthier, good defensive performance. I guess we have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because that New England offense has not played well against anybody. And it simply continued. They didn't play well against Kansas City either. But anytime Kansas City has a good game defensively, you got to be happy. Because that has been the, clearly the Achilles heel of that team. Uh, they rarely go out and 
play a strong defensive game. They played a strong defensive game yesterday. They tackled well. They put pressure on Brady. They sacked Brady. Sacked him. A shock. Yes, they did. I yes, they did. Him. Yes, they did. They turned him over. And uh, they, they did what they needed to do to put themselves in a position uh, to potentially be the two seed. We'll see what happens you know, down the stretch of these last three games. And, of course, they clinched the playoff spot. That division is all theirs now. And I think the last one we could fit in here regarding the who would be in the postseason should the season end today. I, I thought it was a little bit of an eye-opener, but not unexpected because this is what they do. The Seahawks losing to the Rams, 28-12, I believe it was. Just never seemingly, Wasn't that close. Never seemingly in the game. Had to play from behind, couldn't establish the run, which helps them out in that regard. You never really lost got the sense. For, lost their running back for the season. That's too. true. He's, he's out. Not Chris Carson, but his uh, cohort. You, yes. you never got the sense that they were going to make a comeback. It was, it was like all the Rams have to do is not screw this up. And the Rams taking a page out of last year, looking like a playoff team at least. Rams played Sunday. well. Played very well. But it was a Seahawks think, loss yeah. where you go – this is what happens with the Seahawks. They can't put teams away offensively. We talk about it every week, seemingly. They get a two-touchdown lead, and before you know it, it's a field goal to win the game. They win by one. They win by two. Nothing's ever easy in Seattle. But when it's the other way and they're not on the winning end, their point differential is one of the closest in NFL history for how small margins they get with these wins. Yeah, and then there's games thoroughly. like this where it's like, they don't have a shot. They were thoroughly dominated. You know, the demise of young Mr. Goff, I think, is greatly exaggerated. He looked great yesterday. The offense hit on all eight cylinders. Uh, their bulky need running back looked, the, he had more spring in his step. The offensive line did a good job, protected Goff. He looked sharp right out of the box. Where uh, he was throwing the ball on time and on the money. All his receivers are back. Robert Woods, uh, Cooper Cup is back and healthy. Uh, the tight ends, they are looking like a playoff team in the NFC. The question is, is there enough room at the end for them? Uh, that remains to be seen because that conference is loaded right now with Minnesota and Green Bay battling in the Central and obviously the three teams in the West. You've got to have a team from the South. We know it's New Orleans. And, of course, unfortunately, we have to have a team from the NFC East, even though we shouldn't be allowed to put a team from the NFC East in the playoffs. Which we're seeing now as the tail end of the Eagles-Giants game is being held while we record, and we're not even going to tell you what's happening because it doesn't No, because because people watching this game, I think, are being held hostage. This is an unwatchable football game. It's terrible. Quick on it, baseball, uh, Steven Strasburg decides to stay with the Washington Nationals. An incredibly lucrative deal for him, which now begs the question of what the Yankees and other teams will do with one Garrett Cole. Strasburg off the board, all eyes turn to Garrett Cole. God only knows the number he's going to hit. You've been throwing the number out. Just refresh everybody before we go what we could be seeing in the Garrett Cole sweepstakes. Well, the, the offer, we, the, what we heard yesterday from the very reliable Bob Clappish was that the Yankees had put an offer on the table for Garrett Cole at 7 and 245, which, you know, you can, you can do the math on that one. Right? Which is what uh, Strasburg ended up getting, 7 and that's 245. $35 million a year on the, a, the AAV. And that's exactly what Steven Strasburg uh, was offered and accepted to stay and in all probability, end his career in Washington. We don't know if there's an opt-out. Maybe, maybe not. Haven't heard the details, but basically the AB is $35 million a year. So you know Garrett Cole is getting more than seven years, and you know he's getting more than $35 million. I think Garrett Cole is going to get a minimum of eight years and an AAB of $37.5 million, which gets him to the $300 million mark. I think that's the magic number, $300 million. Who's going to go to $300 million? If somebody goes there... Will anyone beat it? I don't think it's going to be the Yankees. I think it's going to be the Angels and the Dodgers. Uh, the Angels desperately need him because they need a frontline ace to build for now and for the future. And 
know, to show Mike Trout that there's hope. Yeah, somebody so people turn on Angels games at least once every five days, please. But to me, the team that should make the move and should not be outbid under any circumstances is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Because the Los Angeles Dodgers have payroll flexibility. All they have on the books uh, in the coming years for a lot of money is Clayton Kershaw. And that's only for a couple more years. The Dodgers are a Garrett Cole away in my mind. And I said this on MLB a couple different times. They are a Garrett Cole signing away from being the end of the last millennium New York Yankees. Garrett Cole in a Dodger uniform means multiple championships in the next half dozen years for the L.A. Dodgers. They are loaded with current and coming talent. Their farm system somehow, someway, despite the fact that they win the division every year and at their bottom of the heap in the first round draft pick-wise, is at the top of the heap. They just keep churning them out year after year. Gavin Lux is the player everybody wants, and the Dodgers will not trade him. He has a chance to be a superstar. Uh, their second baseman, not of the future, but of the present, as they called it at the end of the year. Corey Seager, of course. They've got the young MVP in Bellinger. They've got, you know, Ferris Bueller's day off from, from Vandy, who was their young right-hander. They've still got the best pitcher of, you know, the last dozen years in Clayton Kershaw. Still got some tricks in the bag. You know, it's going to have a good regular season and be more motivated than ever. They have depth everywhere you look. They have depth in the outfield. They have trade pieces. They have catching depth in the minors and coming in the majors. They have everything you possibly want. And they have payroll flexibility to boot. So to me, if I am Andrew Friedman, uh, it's time for me to do the one thing I've never done. I didn't get a chance to do it in Tampa because of payroll constrictions. Now I've got a chance to go out and get the big fish. He needs to go out and make the big play for the most important free agent out there because he is a game changer. He is a franchise builder. He is a franchise maker. And if you are a good team, a perennial good team, he is the guy who can make you the great team. Top of the rotation, never lose, get it done in a big spot, always rely upon him. And I think it's the missing link to the Dodgers being, you know, the team of the next five to six years. But it's going to be exciting. How about being Garrett Cole, where you could just sit down with your agent next to you, our favorite agent in all of Major League Baseball, who said, who said nothing at the first day of winter meetings about anything going on. He's supposedly going to have a press conference this week to talk about the Strasburg deal and make no mention about, I don't know, the other client he has. He gets to just look those teams in the eye, and when they put a number in front of him, after what happened with Strasburg, he can just say, more. And maybe at the winter meetings, they'll decide to throw the Astros out of baseball. Hell, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, stay tuned for another huge week. NFL front and center, winter meetings, a lot going on there, free agent signings, maybe some big trades. For my partner, the big man, John, Tiny on I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great sports week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.